Welcome to the Solidarity Winnipeg podcast. Solidarity Winnipeg is working to lay the basis for an eco-socialist political organization. By that, we mean we are a small group of like-minded people who work in a coordinated way in community groups, in unions, and on campuses to build grassroots power, to educate people, to be effective eco-socialist organizers, and to build support for the long-term goal of breaking with capitalism and starting a transition to eco-socialism. Because Winnipeg is located on Treaty 1 territory, we acknowledge that Treaty 1 is the homeland of Anishinaabe, Cree, OG Cree, Dakota, Dene peoples, and the Métis Nation. The Canadian state has carried out genocide, ethnic cleansing, and forced removal of Indigenous people in order to clear the land for settlement by Europeans. The colonization and oppression of Indigenous peoples is not a thing of the past. It continues today. But around the world, Indigenous peoples are leaders in the fight against capitalism and environmental destruction. We have a lot to learn from Indigenous cultures and teachings that will help us heal our relationship with the land and with each other. Welcome to the Solidarity Winnipeg podcast. This episode is about a case in Winnipeg of when unions break your heart. My name is David. And, uh, you know, those of us in Winnipeg who want radical social change, and I think it's true in lots of other places too, you know, for us, unions are a bit of a puzzle. Certainly in Winnipeg, lots of people know that unions were at the heart of the general strike that happened in the city uh, in 1919. But in the here and now, the unions that we're familiar with seem to have nothing to do with that kind of mass worker struggle. If we think of unions as at least a way for workers to defend themselves and improve their pay and working conditions, then even on that uh, front, most unions in this city are not very inspiring these days. And we've just seen members of one of the largest unions in the city, Canadian Union of Public Employees, or CUPE, Local 500, which represents most municipal workers at the city of Winnipeg, ratify a collective agreement that will see the buying power of their wages decline this year because of inflation uh, and quite possibly fall over the next couple of years too. So I'm joined on this episode by two members of that union to talk about unions and their union in particular. So could you introduce yourselves? Hi, yeah, my name is Alexander and I am a worker with QP500 at the city of Winnipeg. Um, and I, my name is Emma and yes, I'm also a, a worker at, at the city of Winnipeg. So to start us off, what do you think about why unions matter today? Um, I think, yeah. go ahead, Emma. Yeah, no, you go ahead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think unions, they, they, they obviously matter today because we still need that struggle. There's still issues in the workplace and especially right now in the greater context, especially in North America, there's been a, large resurgence of labor activity um but you know with that there's also a lot of baggage that people have with unions you know there people have all the usual criticisms that you know they're they just take your money they don't do anything they're you know they're just in cahoots with the bosses but i think most people see unions as pretty irrelevant but it's actually one of the main ways that you know we can actually organized to get what we need. Oh, yeah, I agree. Um, I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of, like, space there for for organizing and for, um, you know, getting our rights sort of upheld, like, at, especially at work. And, um, you know, as even just having that ability to, like, file a grievance if we need to is really important. 
I, I think it's helpful to think about unions as you know they're important organizations that workers can use to organize themselves and and to, to fight. Um, but they're not ends in themselves. So that you know when unions, the official channels of unions become an obstacle, then uh, because of you know the stance that union officials may be taking, or for some other reason, um, you know maybe there might be you know a lot of racism that makes it difficult to fight for an anti-racist demand, then there's the opportunity for people who are union members to organize themselves independently of the official union bodies in order to try to, you know, take action or to then make change within the, the organization. So um, the, I think that's, it's important to, to think about unions in, in that way. But, you know, as you've sort of touched on, there, there are a lot of people on the left who are pretty skeptical about unions or even more than skeptical, think that they don't offer us anything. Um, and in this city, some people would point to union support for Glenn Murray in the recent municipal election and, and for other city council candidates, you know, people who really weren't even pretending to challenge corporate power. And you also run into people who would raise questions about, you know, where have unions been when it comes to campaigning against racist policing in this city or uh, with respect to indigenous calls for land back or around climate justice. And people who really closely follow labor in Winnipeg will have read reports about the sexist treatment of Basha Sokol when she was president of the Winnipeg Labor Council, which is an umbrella organization for most unions in the city. Uh, and also there was a high profile report about the former president of QP Manitoba who was charged with sexual assault. So do you have any other things you'd like to add uh, in terms of what you would say to people on the left in particular who more or less write off unions? Yeah, well, right now unions, they, they have a very narrow focus. And they'll pay lip service to things like solidarity and worker struggles. But at the end of the day, uh, a lot of unions, all they're there for is like, well, let's, you know, make sure we can get more money for the workers and maybe get an extra benefit or two. And all the, all the other stuff, all the, uh, the social agitation, supporting other causes, that's all sort of by the wayside. That's like a separate issue that a lot of, a lot of the workers like don't even know that unions take these stances because, well, for one, especially within our local communication is so poor. But all that being said, even though there's, you know, I think we could list all the criticisms of, uh, of unions and our local specifically, but at the end of the day, it is a vehicle that basically, I don't know, lack of better terms, can be hijacked. Uh, like it's something that, the work, the workers can take over and we can drive it. And, you know, there are mechanisms in place and there aren't too many avenues for mass organizing that are already in place. And so that's why I think it's still probably a good, uh, it's still a good thing to have. It's still something to, to struggle for because, well, I mean, we have it. And once it's gone, it's a lot harder to get it back. And you look at the private sector, you know, the union membership is, you know, way down in the dumps and you know you don't like i said before there's more union drives happening now than there ever were but at the same time like it's that's a really hard struggle compared to when you already have you know those uh organizations in place oh yeah for sure and uh something that i guess i've been observing since becoming involved is that just because um you know someone's involved in the union doesn't actually mean that they have like an analysis of like oppression or sexism and and you know racism and that they have like an anti-racist perspective so um i think there there is a lot of room for those like conversations too to happen and there are like you know at least within qp you know there's all these other like it's a huge organization and there are other 
um, like at least for me, like I'm just really looking for that the queer feminist, um, you know, decolonizing organizing that's happening. And it's, you know, it there it is happening across Canada, I would say, it, within QP as well. And there's there are people who are trying to, you know, move that forward. And it it's like from what I've I have observed it is making like an impact. Yeah, there are organizations that we can struggle within and struggle for, I think. Mm-hmm. I like the way you put that. So let's talk about your union local, QP Local 500, because it's one of the largest union locals in Winnipeg. It has about 5,000 members, but it has not gone on strike since 1919, the year of the Winnipeg general strike. But this year it came pretty close. So can you start by talking to listeners about what this past round of bargaining was like? kind of explain it for people who might not understand much about uh, working for the city of Winnipeg. Well, I think we all got the same email about 40 times. Of, <laughs> We're still working on it. And there was, it was, it was so not transparent uh, with how the bargaining process went because they, it was almost two years uh, that they were going into it and they were giving us monthly updates maybe, but the updates were basically the exact same email sent out to members, you know, first working on non-monetary issues and then working, then they got into the monetary things. But things started to get really interesting, I guess, when they uh, they asked us for a strike mandate before we could even see the contract. And that was based solely just on the percentages uh, of pay increase that the city offered. And that was the only input we really had. Uh, so the... The union got 93% yes vote for a strike mandate based purely on knowing the percentages of, I think it was about five and something percent increase over four years. So rejected that. And then it went for another, uh, four months, something like that before, uh, things came to a head and the contract got signed. But throughout the whole process, we were all completely in the dark and, you know, completely closed bargaining with zero information. Yeah, there was a really that ex- it was an exciting moment, you know, when we rejected that first offer. I think there was like a lot of solidarity. It was it it felt like anyway, at least from my perspective. And you know, you go to vote, and there's like lots of people there from all the different units, and like a lot of us have really different jobs from each other. So um, I loved seeing that, and I was really hopeful that you know we would. Uh, you know, fight, fight a little harder, I guess. Um, I know. Yeah. There was a lot of solidarity for the bargaining team for sure. Um, yeah. The, <laughs> and then it's really like a closed bar- model, I guess. Like they just, you know, they don't, um, get a lot of input until they kind of want it. So it was very, I'm not, I don't know. We don't know what the turnout was for the votes, the different votes, like, and then the, you know, the vote at the end to accept the offer, which was like pretty much generally presented as being not a great deal, <laughs> even by, you know, the bargaining team. I don't think, I think they were like, it's not a great deal, but we think you should take it anyway. Because <laughs> yeah. basically the reasoning is you'll never, if we're on strike for two months, we'll never make back, we'll never be able to make back that, that loss, I guess, that financial loss. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned that because like, you know, I heard that, that line from a few different people. And uh, one guy I was talking to was like, I know someone who works in finance and they crunched the numbers and said, you know, if we go on strike for a month or whatever, we'll never make that money back. Yeah. And like, okay. And that made sense from like, you know, just your paycheck, that year's pay, whatever. But it's missing the point of uh, a strike action 
that, you know, we're doing this so we can get further ahead. So we're not so far behind. And, you know, if you give up now, then you're just still that much further behind as inflation keeps going up. And like, and, you know, we'll never, we'll never catch up. And I think people were really missing that angle where yeah. they weren't really understanding the, the strategy behind it. Like, yeah, we're going to take a hit. I mean, and that's the price we have to pay for this, but like down the road, it's for everyone's benefit. And I think, yeah, that analysis was at least a lot of people I talked to was completely missing this. Like, like, but that being said, a lot of people were very keen to strike and people wanted to strike fast and strike hard because there's talk of doing rolling strikes and going slow and everything. But the vast majority of everyone I talked to was like, you know, if we're going to strike, let's shut it all down. Which mm-hmm. I thought was awesome. That like that sort of energy was really good. Oh yeah, definitely. And I think there's a lot of um uh I don't know what the word is. Sort of, you know, just being upset at like management, just being like, We're treated so poorly. Mm-hmm. At least in like where, you know, the department I'm in, you know, it's just there's a total lack of respect. There's just more work, more work being put on us with like no recognition of you know, the fact that we're not making anything like any more money or anything. So, and like, I think a big priority in my area would be the um, fact that a lot of, we have, we, we have a lot of part-time workers and, um, you know, they're considered temporary, even though a lot of them have been with the city for 20 years, some people. So, and that didn't actually, from what I could tell, that wasn't, Maybe it was on the table at the beginning with the negotiations, but, um, you know, it didn't end up being part of the final agreement. Mm-hmm. I know in my department, wages were a really big one because we can't even hire anyone. But what's interesting is that <laughs> That's like ma- management on my side, uh, like we're in favor of us. They're like, yeah, you guys need to get paid more. And they have been advocating going through different, uh, different channels to try and uh, better our position. But, you know, so when the contract came through, like they were mad, like, because, ah, you know, they're the ones getting affected. They can't get people to, to do these jobs and ends up costing everyone more. It's harder on everyone. So that was, it was, it was nice to hear that. I didn't know that, like, you know, from, from the WAPSO side, that's the management union. Uh, they were, or at least for people I talked to, like they were in favor of us getting some kind of increase, but, I mean, I think all the decisions are made above them, right? So, hey, I'll just explain for listeners who don't know the city of Winnipeg that, yeah, WAPSO is the union that represents you know, middle-level managers and some technical um, specialists and some some other some other workers, and then, then there's top management who are not in any union, but most of the workforce is in QP500, or if they're working for the transit, they're in the amalgamated transit union. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And one thing I guess should explain too, which I think is kind of weird. I don't know how many unions actually have this sort of structure, but, uh, so QB 500 is separated into five different units. And so there's Riverview Health Unit, uh, civic services, community services, water and waste, and public works. Public okay. works. Yeah. I think so. So, and these, you know, we all have our separate unit meetings. So like, uh, me and Emma won't, like our units are separate. So we're not going to go into these meetings together, but then we have our central council meeting. And so the way it's set up, it's already dividing a workforce that's already divided. You know, and there's talk of solidarity and everything, but it's like, we have no idea what's happening in other units. We don't know what their grievances or issues are, unless we're talking amongst ourselves, which people do. 
But that's definitely a barrier to any kind of mass organization within our, our union because it's like, well, those are just the, those are the guys that, you know, work in trucks and drive around the city. Or those are just people, those are clerks who just sit in offices. I have nothing to do with them. It's all completely different. And it's this, this division that the union actually promotes, uh, through, through their structure. And I think that's actually a really damaging thing for solidarity within because, yeah, everyone starts blaming other people like, oh, the union only cares about the, the clerks or librarians or they only care about the part timers or they only care about, uh, you know, the tradespeople or, you know, and it's like, no, they don't care about any of us. <laughs> that's what it feels like sometimes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, and then also, well, like the voting structure, I know there's been some talk of, of, changing the bylaws so that they are more democratic. So like it's kind of built into the way that it's set up for sure. Totally. I mean, mm-hmm. cause you can't just go to central council and just vote. Like you have no. to have attended um, three meetings, I think. And then if you're running for a position, you have to be a delegate from your unit, which yeah. I think there's a lot of us who are like, yeah, maybe that should change now because to encourage more people to be involved. Yeah, it's a lot of gatekeeping yeah. of of who is allowed to participate, not a lot of barriers, right? Yeah, and it makes it really hard. And you know, sure, a lot of these now are, all, are happening online, as lots of things are. But that being said, like you know, some people maybe aren't very good with computers, or maybe don't have uh, good access to it. But even finding out what times they're at and all this, and it's just like there's just very poor communication with the members and there's no encouragement to communicate more you know like i know in my workplace you know i took it upon myself to start putting up uh notifications on what was going on with the bargaining and everything you know the emails were you know kind of the same old same old but if there's any kind of new nugget of information i tried to make sure that people in my workplace do that but like you know doing that on my own accord there was no like directive being like okay let's make sure this gets out to members you know put this up at all your places talk to everybody try and organize your coworkers so they can get a better showing at voting or or whatever you know there's none of that kind of stuff it's like okay there there's some there's some issues here yeah yeah so i mean a structure that reflects the division of the workforce that the employer entrenches right um rather than trying to overcome that that division and uh a culture, and in fact, not just a culture, but actual rules, you know, bureaucratic rules, because bureaucratic, you know, they're hard to change, um, that actually deter rather than encourage member participation in in, uh, in the organization. Any other things you'd like to say about the organization, like the union as an organization, your union? I think going back to what we were talking about before, like, you know, QP500 is a huge union, and, you know, there's extremely problematic things that have gone down and you know some of it is like you know the inside information like oh you know these people are doing this but also just the general malaise with the whole workforce and you know not really caring about it but it's still like i was saying before it's still like the main vehicle that we can use to try to listen some kind of change within our workforce and you know have more solidarity actions with other unions and I don't know, I think it's still something that's it should be worth fighting for. It makes sense to me at least. How do your coworkers feel about the union? Um, well I have coworkers who are kind of um, you know, talking about like we should get a new union and we should like de- decertify. I don't know that they really understand mm-hmm. what, what that process would be like or but just really feeling like 
you know, I worked with somebody who was making minimum wage and then was like, you know, if you think about it, I make less than minimum wage now because of my the paying union dues. So I was like, that is actually an interesting point. <laughs> but um, yeah, and then I have others, you know, who are maybe not just don't know a lot about what even the union in its current form can offer. So I'll be like, hey, you know, you can have like a rep at this meeting. <laughs> And they're like, oh, okay, actually, that might be really helpful. And I'm like, call them ahead of time, too, so that you can have a conversation, you know? So, yeah, I think it definitely ranges. I feel like I also have colleagues who are hopeful, who are hopeful that things could change and, and you know, maybe want to be more involved. But, like, it is challenging to break in as well. So Yeah, it's funny you talk about uh, people wanting to decertify and try and start something new or whatever and like that talk has definitely gone around my shop to the point where you know people are trying to just trying to struggle in whatever way to to get heard and yeah. you know feeling like their voices don't matter so talking about trying to start up uh new units or going to other unions see if they would take us and things like that and you know people are legitimately trying to to get something out of it but for the most part it's you know this organization you pay money into that pops up around bargaining time and that's the only time people really do anything and like if you ask someone you know let's say six months or a year from now like oh, let's go to a meeting you know for the union like why would i do that time? <laughs> i'd rather you know, do this or that do something else and i totally get it you know a lot of the meetings are really boring procedural things that you know you have to if you don't know robert's rules of order and like it just doesn't make any sense what is going on in this meeting like well wait why are we talking about anything wait wait oh wait that's done now. Or, oh wait the meeting's done and then all of a sudden the meeting's done <laughs> you know and like and i mean that's been my experience too like you, know, you should go to the meetings and everything is you know very extremely by the book and people are racing through the meetings to get them done as quickly as possible where nothing actually really happens and so it's like it does feel pointless but you know and that and you know i'm someone who is involved or wants to get involved but for the average worker it's just like why bother it you know it's just more work for me but another thing this is actually interesting too um the viewpoint of the union as a stepping stone into management and that's i i never realized this was a thing but you know people start talking about that how oh yeah anyone who does union work you know they end up in a in a WAPSO position they end up going to management and and it's totally a common thing you see it in, in higher levels of of the unit executives where it's like you know someone's in a position for so long and then all of a sudden oh they're gone oh yeah they got promoted to another position and it's just constant like yeah stepping stone basically and that is how most people see union work it's just like one avenue for a career advantage and so that was that's a really interesting thing to see because you think that like being in the union puts you in opposition to that but it shows that you're you know a team mm -hmm. player someone who can it can take on. Oh, yeah, definitely. And then, I mean, there are, like, certain people who I think do, you know, it, it is interesting, like, why people join. And, like, everybody should have the option to join, of course. But, like, there are some benefits that come, like, you know, be, getting, like, uh, time off, like, paid time off to work on things or attend a conference. Or there's a lot of travel, I think, for some people that, they might really enjoy that, but it's like on, you know, work time. So you're being paid. Um, yeah, there's definitely some benefits. And I'm mm -hmm. not just like moving to management, but 
also moving like into QB paid roles where they mm-hmm. make, I would say, significantly higher income than most QB members. <laughs> so you like if you're, a, you know, a rep, a QB national rep, or you're moving kind of into, you know, other QB roles, they, they do make a good living, I would say, <laughs> from what I understand. Yeah. And, and there's people who say like, you know, they're pretty removed from what, you know, the everyday life is like for most of us, you know, who are, who aren't making that, you know, level of income. So, mm-hmm. so do you think there are other people in your, you, in your local who want a, a militant and democratic union, but you haven't had contact with them? And what are some of the roadblocks to trying to find those kinds of people in local 500? I think they're, definitely are there's definitely lots of people who want to agitate and do stuff and it's you know there's some that you know they want just something to change and you know they don't know what but they want to do something but they feel powerless because you know of all the gatekeeping within the union and then there's other folks obviously with uh more radical analysis and understanding of class politics and yeah those people exist as well like all over the place but like i was saying with how because it's so big, it's not like, you know, we're in one giant factory and we can all meet up in the break room and talk about this. It's like, you know, we are literally spread across the city and siloed off into different departments. Uh, but fortunately, some positions are able to go between the different areas. And so that makes for a really good avenue for organizing um, and using those sort of conduits to find those people and bring them in. Uh is I think probably a pretty good strategy because there are there are people out there that that want to get involved that that want to see more radical change. It's just about tapping into them and, and starting it up, basically. Yeah, for sure. I was reading the um some, the article that you sent, and uh, I don't know. I think like right now there's just a lot of like hurt and a lot of like harm that's been done, and so people, at least from what I've seen, it's just like really like trying to process that and trying to like, and then, you know, if I've ever been like talking to um, like coworkers or other people who are wanting to be involved, like it's just all that's kind of coming out. So I don't know, I guess that's kind of, and then you sent that. And then there's that other article about, um, you know, uh, what to do when the union breaks your heart, which I think a lot of us are in that heartbroken stage right now, like really. And then, you know, knowing about the harm that's happened to people, like actual, like real damage and um, the bullying on top of the sexual harassment and just everything. It just, yeah, it's hard to move past that kind of angry hurt stage or not that we have to move past it, but like it's hard to kind of get through all the the venting that has to be done <laughs> or maybe like, you know, like, how do we manage that? I find that part, like, kind of challenging because, yeah, you know, and I know people who've been harmed and it's it's really ugly, actually. And so then it's kind of hard, but it's hard. I don't, yeah, if you want to add to that, I don't know. Well, you mentioned an, an article that, so there's an article that um, was written in the U.S. publication Labor Notes by Ellen David Friedman, what to do when your union leaders break your heart. And That'll be in the show notes for people to look at if they want. Uh, and the author advises, in their words, stay steady, organize, and persevere. Be strategic rather than angry. Don't attack the leader or spread hostility. Instead, figure out a way to build a base and take action. Find a cluster of other union members who are ready to do something. 
you might consider starting a rank-and-file caucus to open up the question of what kind of union the members really prefer. So do you have any thoughts about that advice that's uh, offered there? Well, I guess that's kind of what I was getting at. Like, it is really good advice. And that is definitely, I think, what needs to happen. But it's, you know, it's it's easy to say because it's just when you have been harmed or you know people who have been, it's, I don't know, it's just kind of... Well, sometimes, I don't know if others feel this way, but sometimes going to those meetings is actually sort of like, it feels like um, really emotionally and spiritually heavy to go to some of these meetings where you know, like, that if you speak up or you say something, that there is this element of being shut down as well. So you have to be, you have to be able to take care of yourself too, I guess. Yeah, and I think uh, on the the quote that you brought up too, um, you know, don't attack the leaders. And it's really interesting because I think people's first reaction is like, you know, go after the president. It's all his fault. He's the one, you know, that's doing all this. And it's like, yeah, obviously he shares a huge chunk of the blame, but it, it's only productive to a certain extent because, you know, we all know, we know it's a dead end relying on the one figurehead or whatever, but like we need to, yeah, first vent, get, get, get the emotions out. And, you know, we're all, we all have, our our grapes and grievances with how things went down and how things go but you know you gotta look look ahead and try and find uh basically a path to victory through organizing and i think that's what we need to be doing right now especially in the wake of of this contract because you know the it's only it, it's only two years that we have in this contract left before it's up again it's true. Yeah. so there's you know there's time to start mobilizing get people uh, basically into positions to try and affect some real change within the union structure. Yeah, I think the point about not blaming all the problems on the person who's on the, you know, in the president's role, for example, is, is worth thinking about because of the way that, you know, Local 500 and, and unions today generally operate. Uh, there's this idea that you, you pay dues and it provides you a service, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so there can be a temptation to say, well, look, it's, it's being a bad service provider. So we just need to find somebody else to give us better services to do things for us, right? And it doesn't challenge the, the, the whole underlying assumption there, which is that unions are something that are not workers' organizations themselves, right? They're not, that whole model of the union is something, it's not us. It's this outside thing that comes in and solves our problems, or sometimes it can, and other times it doesn't. And then all you can do is vote uh, for different people, you know, in, in elections. Um, it, that uh, it, it's absolutely right to, challenge people in official positions when they're doing what they're doing it in a really terrible way. Uh, but we need to go deeper and break that cycle uh, and challenge that whole idea of, um, of what unions, you know, how unions should operate. And there was good advice. From, uh, I think it was Farrell Dobbs, who was a socialist active in the labor movement in the U S in the 1930s. And, and, and later who talked about uh, firing at the employers and catching the union officials in the crossfire. Right. So that the, the main enemy is the employer and keep keeping your focus there. And then, you know, won't be any surprise when uh, union officials who are committed to this kind of status quo of bureaucratic trade unionism will will get in the way. But uh, to not be distracted from from that. Any other thoughts that you'd like to share in terms of things that uh, we've not touched on or that you'd like to to add before we wrap up? Mm. Solidarity with the workers. Oh, yeah, definitely. And uh, I mean, I guess for all the, if there's anyone from QP500, you know, listening, 
just to know that like, you know, we're with you. Well, in fact, if, you know, if you're listening to this and you're a member of QP500 and you like what uh, Alexander and Emma have had to say, you can always contact Solidarity Winnipeg and we could put you in touch with them to, uh, if, if you want to connect. So thank you for taking the time to come on the podcast to talk about these important questions. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Solidarity Winnipeg podcast. If you'd like to learn more about who we are and what we do, you can check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Solidarity Winnipeg. But really the best way to keep in touch and follow what's happening in Winnipeg is to sign up for our newsletter at www.solidaritywinnipeg.ca. If you want to reach out to us directly with questions or comments, you can send us an email to info at solidarity winnipeg.ca.